0: read as much as you can get in front of as much content as you can listen to as many podcasts, as many speakers as you can. Um, You know, I think, I I think uh, in some ways it's always good to view yourself as a beginner investor for as long as you can. Um, I still think of myself as a beginner investor and I'm a professional investor, but it's because we always have something to learn. Um, And so I would encourage anyone to just continue reading and continue learning.
1: I have with me, David Chan today. David, how are you? I'm doing well, Pash. how are you? Good, thank you. So David has over five years of experience in finance and technology across agricultural business. Prior to joining Farm Together, David was a senior private equity associate at AmeriCapital Management an asset manager that specializes in agriculture investments. So welcome, David. Thanks. Good to be here. Absolutely. So today, of course, we want to talk about agriculture businesses dear to my heart. I have personally invested in three different agriculture investments, all of them out of state. Uh, being a vegan, I, I, I feel like agriculture is, of course, you know, very important to our uh, environment, our society. And, uh, and as we all know that it's here to stay. Right. So, of course, we'll be digging deeper. And I have before interviewed before, you know, the farms, uh, the people who I work with for managing my uh, cacao farms to orange tree farms, etc, as well as the coffee farms. So we'll discuss more about, you know, where do you guys invest and uh, why you invest locally. And I wanted to know more about it as well, because, you know, living in California, I know most lot of the fruits and nuts grow here locally. But before we get started, let's talk about you. Tell us something interesting about yourself.
0: Sure. Um, so to start, I think most folks would be surprised when they meet me or hear my name uh, to find out that I actually do not have any Asian heritage.
1: Yeah, um, I'm like okay. You don't look <laughs> Asian.
0: <laughs> um, there's a good Seinfeld episode uh, that has uh, uh, that makes <laughs> a joke about this. But um, yeah, I uh, my parents are from Spain. I'm um, uh, in New York, um, and I have no ties to to Asia that I know of. Um, so, so you don't Spain. know
1: Jackie Jackie Chan.
0: I unfortunately do not. <laughs> uh, but anytime I'm on a you know on a call with someone who's taking down my name. And I say my last name, it's always hard to hear like N versus M. So I usually say David Chan, like Jackie Chan. And that of always- Of yeah. <laughs> that,
1: that makes it easier, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about farmland. Why invest in farmland?
0: So farmland- you know, in our view at Farm Together, it, it is just one of the best asset classes that has yet to be untapped uh, and largely so because it's privatized. So in the U.S., 97 or to 98% of all farmland is privately held, meaning that individuals or small private companies own uh, just about 98% of U.S. farmland, um, the balance of which that 2% would be comprised of institutions Um So uh, insurance companies, investment firms, university endowments and and the like. Um, So this is a very fragmented and and untapped space. Um, We think the asset class is so interesting because it's a real asset. So you're investing in something tangible that exists. Um, It serves a purpose. Uh, It's a durable good, Uh, demand does not wane Um, based on broader macroeconomic trends or the environment. Um, It provides two return streams like real estate. So there's an income stream, um, either from rental income or from operating income if you choose to directly operate the farm. And then there's also appreciation. Um, So the underlying asset will appreciate with value over time. Uh, And uh, additionally, as a strong inflation hedge, um, farmland has tracked inflation um, very closely and finally, I, you know, I think it's just about the ultimate diversifier um, because it is so, in so few investors' portfolios. Um, it really doesn't have any relationship with broader uh, asset classes like stocks or bonds um, or even real estate. Uh, and arguably it's in the real estate family since it's real asset. Um, so we think for all of those reasons, it's an excellent asset class that should be in just about everyone's portfolio. Got it.
1: And as I said, you know, I invested uh, in acquiring small half an acre parcel in a large farm out of country, right? So, and I have no understood that business side where, you know, I'm actually owning the, uh, you know, parcel and the people are just managing the property, right? So more like turnkey. So how does farm together compare to other ways someone can invest in farmland?
0: Um, so, Farm Together makes it possible for, for retail investors to invest in far, into farmland through um, our structuring. So, each farm that we syndicate on our platform is a standalone LLC. Um, and so, when an investor decides that they want to participate in a given deal, um, they are investing into that specific LLC. Um, so, um, they're typically sequential, Farm Together 200 LLC, Farm Together 300 LLC. Um, So, uh, an investor has so much more control and decision-making over what areas of the country they want to invest in, whether that be California or Washington, um, what commodity groups, um, if they want to be in an almond property, if they want to be in a hazelnut property or a citrus property, um, whether they want to support uh, a, a transitional property that may be transitioning from conventional farmland to certified organic, um, so there's a lot of decision-making there. And then also in terms of suitability and matching risk preferences, um, you know, in terms of the risk spectrum for farmland, the, uh, the least risky type of opportunity would likely be a cash rent lease, um, often on a row crop property where you're leasing the property to a tenant uh, and collecting rental income. And you have almost no operating performance exposure at all. Um, and returns are going to be a bit lower as a reflection of that lower risk. On the other end of the spectrum, um, in the permanent space, uh, like almonds and and hazelnuts, if you take an old orchard, purchase an old orchard, and your plan is to remove the old trees and plant new ones, um, that's going to be a a higher yielding opportunity, um, but also there's going to be a bit more risk because you're going to have to wait a couple of years for the trees to develop. Got it.
1: So how does it compare to traditional investments like stocks and bonds? And 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 this show is all about alternative investments, anything other than Wall Street, right? But I always uh, end up comparing, you know, be it real estate, even if a strategy in real estate, you know, uh, people wanna know how does it compare to Wall Street, right? So what about farmland or how you guys do the business? How does it compare?
0: Sure. Um... I would say it's certainly less volatile than the stock market. Um, so Farmland is notably um, a very steady and consistent so asset So It's market.
1: not exciting, right? <laughs> but that's I, exactly I, I, right. I like boring.
0: <laughs> it's just about as boring as they come. Uh, and <laughs> that's another reason why we think maybe it hasn't really been, you know, yes. un, untapped. But. You know, it, look, I think 2020 has given us enough excitement. We, we like. Boring oh, right yeah. Now, so.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Corona, tornadoes and of course, being in, you know, Bay Area, wildfires.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, volatility tends to be very low in, in farmland compared to the stock market. Um, you know, the bond market right now has been struggling because of where rates are and we view rates, are going to be near zero in perpetuity. We have no reason to believe rates are going to increase. The Fed is nice. telling us rates are going to stay here for the next five years at a minimum. Yeah. Um, and so, on a real basis, bonds in our view are not really a competitive, uh, a competitive asset class. Uh, and you know, when we look at alternatives um, or other real assets, you know, if we look at real estate, we've seen, um, you know, and happy to touch more on coronavirus later, but we've seen. Um, a lot of stress in real estate because of coronavirus which is certainly understandable which we have not seen in farmland. Um, there have been some tremors uh, and some impacts but by and large fundamentals that are still the fundamentals that they were before and um, we have not seen meaningful shifts in supply and demand as a result of COVID. Um, when we look at uh, an alternative like gold um, you know we think gold is an interesting comparison and one that is comparable in terms of uh, you know, I think um, its ability to store value, it is it is an excellent asset class for capital preservation and, and farmland has been as well. I think that the, the um, pitfall that gold has against farmland is that there's no income stream right. for gold. Yeah. Um, it's system,
1: yeah, yeah, I look at uh, gold as a good hedge. And, and, and it's just uh, when there is a currency risk, gold would be or, or this precious metal is, would be the way to go. But yeah, there is no cash flow,
0: right? Um, so yeah, I mean, largely, you know, across the board, we we don't see much, um, we don't see much correlation between farmland performance uh, against any of these major asset classes, and that's one of the reasons you know it, we love to include it in a, a diversified portfolio because it just adds so much benefit um, from being the sort of standalone. Um, stall worth of an asset class that doesn't react to geopolitical news or macroeconomic news or the like. Got
1: it. So, and also I heavily invest in real estate because whenever we talk about alternative investments, real estate, you know, is the huge part of it. So how does it compare or how does it fit into the Ineos with other alternatives like traditional real estate, right? Buy and hold rental to, commercial office space to, you know, holding notes. Uh, do, do you recommend, uh, do you look at your own portfolio and look at it that way that you got to have a certain percentage allocated to real estate to gold, to farmland?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, here, I would just say, uh, I'm speaking personally and this certainly isn't a recommendation, but um, you know, I think the way I look at it, I, I love real assets for me, real assets are, you know, a a meaningful portion of my own portfolio. And I think, um, you know, my view is that they're going to become an increasingly larger representation of of most investors' portfolios, be it retail or institutional, um, because of this new paradigm that we're in of low interest rates and and low yield. Um, And so, you know, when I think about within your real estate allocation bucket, how do you, you know, how do you allocate Um, You know, I would certainly never tell any investor, you should only be in farmland. That wouldn't be prudent. Or you should only be in gold. Um, I do think that you should diversify across different real asset strategies um, and have a portion in in real estate. We actually believe that farmland is most comparable to multifamily in terms of of the landscape and the fragmentation of the market and how privately held it is. Um, So, you know, uh, would certainly understand and encourage investors to have um, to have uh, residential, to have some commercial um, representation in their portfolio, to have, um, you know, uh, gold, to have some timber and to have farmland um, across all of them. Of course, we think farmland is the best. That's why we're here. Um, but we think that they all are you know, serve an important purpose, um, which is ultimately portfolio diversification.
1: Got it. So what are the t- typical returns you see in this asset class?
0: In US farmland, the typical returns we see, you know, it varies quite a bit based on the underlying mechanics of the deal, um, of the opportunity. So if we're looking at row crops, earlier I mentioned that row crops uh, and the cash rent lease model tends to be the, the lowest form of risk um, and also the lowest yield. So if we look at that model where you receive, you the investor would receive cash rent from the tenant uh, in the first quarter before planting even occurs. Um, so there's no risk to you really on weather or um, even the tenant's skill uh, for that given season in terms of operating. Of course, you want them to be a good steward. Um, but operating risk is, is really negligible to your performance as an investor because your, your income stream is that rent. Um, and so in those types of deals, we're seeing um, typically a net IRR of 7 to 8%. Um, and a net cash yield of about 3%. Um, now, as we start to move further along the risk, risk spectrum and start to introduce a bit more risk, um, if we look at permanent plantings, like tree nuts, citrus, uh, almonds, hazelnuts, um, tangos, um, for a turnkey orchard, of course, we're going to be paying more for a turnkey orchard. Um, since those opportunities are producing high income streams, high cash yields year one, um, so you do compromise the IRR at the expense of that. So there we're, we're probably seeing net IRRs of maybe ten percent, nine to nine to eleven percent if we put it in a band, uh, and cash yields of fairly strong cash yields of of likely nine percent. Um, and then if we look at the, uh, the more high yielding opportunities, which would be development properties, similar to real estate, if you're in a development opportunity yeah. in real estate, um, where you're planting trees or you have a young orchard, maybe it was only planted two or three years ago, and you're still waiting two or three years for production. Um, those opportunities will likely have um, IRRs in the low to mid-teens, anywhere from 11 or 12% to you know, maybe 14%. Um, and cash yields of around 10 or 11%. Um, And then finally, um, there's sometimes opportunities in the specialty market, such as certified organic or transitioning to organic, where you can unlock even more value. Um, And so for some of those opportunities, although rare, we can sometimes see returns, uh, IRRs approaching upper teens. Um, So it's a pretty broad uh, spectrum. Uh, Like anything in finance, it's a function of risk and yield
1: what about risk and overall portfolio positioning in the current market
0: so we think in this market um you know we still think that this is a fairly uh safe asset class overall even if you're in the higher yielding end of the spectrum uh, in development because of strong fundamentals again fundamentals do not change people have to eat doesn't matter what's happening in the world um that that truth will not uh fade so Um, we still actively invest in permanent plantings today. And we think that there are actually a lot of interesting opportunities in permanent because of the coronavirus um, to find some, some attractive purchases. Um, So it really hasn't shaped our investment strategy all that much. Um, We've, you know, I think it's, it's certainly for us, um, a bigger 2020 event has, has, truthfully been the wildfire event, um, which has not, again, not impacted any of our properties, but has certainly has served as an underlining event that climate risk and and, uh, mitigation is critical in the work that we do. And we do underwrite for climate risk uh, or opportunity. In some places, climate change is actually favorably um, changing the the prospects of a, a given property, but we do underwrite for that risk and and the wildfires this year really yes. put that into perspective how important that uh, aspect of our underwriting is
1: so that's a that's a good point you brought up about wildfire and and you said you underwrite for the risk. So do you have insurance against certain natural calamities, natural disasters, et cetera?
0: It depends on the property and depends on where the property is geographically based. We do have insurance, uh, we have base insurance on all properties. So general casualty uh, and liability insurance on all properties. Where applicable, we do look for supplemental coverage. Um, and it's actually um, an area that we're exploring with uh, innovative insurance providers uh, and underwriters where you know they've never created a, a young tree uh, product. So an insurance product to protect against death, or um, you know some, you know basically a, a, a tree death event for trees that have not hit maturity. Um, so we're working with some providers to create that product, um, and we would be looking to um, secure that coverage for for some of our younger development properties. Um, we also are working with some providers in crafting fire insurance, supplemental fire insurance something they haven't done simply because um, in the areas where farms are located, uh, the event occurrence for wildfires has actually been close to zero, if not zero. Um, And again, none of our properties were impacted by these wildfires. Um, So we don't have any expectation that this will be a direct issue or threat to our properties in the future. However, we certainly understand for investors that this is a concern. And so if we're able to address those concerns by finding and securing some supplemental insurance, um, we're happy to do it. Got it.
1: And what are are some other risks, if you can, um, you know, identify those for us or define them, uh, why when someone is trying to invest in farmland?
0: Um, You know, I think there's always gonna be an operator risk. Um, We mitigate that by working with some of the finest institutional grade operators in in the US. Um, So our operating partners have been farming in these areas um, for 40, 50 years, um, sometimes more. So they know these lands better than anyone. um, And we have the utmost confidence in them. Um, But they are human, like, like us all. And so there's always a potential for um, uh, operator error, um, and, and, you know, either poor yield or, or some other impact because of a because of the operator, um, I would say another risk. You know, we are operating in a market, and so if there is an event that causes price to suddenly move up or down, obviously up is typically a good thing for our investors. But um, but risk is uncertainty. So up or down, um, it could change. You know, the uh, the underlying um, uh, or I'm sorry, it could dev- it could cause the property to deviate from our underlying um, projections of of what the uh, distributions would look like. And so that introduces some uncertainty to our investors, which of course we want to uh, mediate as much as possible. And so um, we wish we had a crystal ball, but we don't. So anytime you're dealing with financial markets, the price volatility is of course a risk. Um, right. So those are a couple.
1: Got it. So, and how has, because uh, I can tell you have been following financial markets and of course I do too, because that, that's what we are doing here, right? So how has, COVID-19 impacted financial markets.
0: Oh boy. That's a, that's a PhD dissertation. Um, you know, I think based on conversations I've had with many of our clients um, and many of the thought leaders in the space, I think what has been most interesting on how I'd say two things. One, coronavirus has very much put into focus and into uh, front and and center stage for downstream consumer facing companies um, who offer consumer goods, how important it is to have traceability and control of their supply chain. We saw so many CBG companies have their supply chains uh, disrupted by a number of impacts, but be it closed ports, um, closed transportation, airlines, roads, uh, borders, um, and it really disrupted their their uh, business um, and led to some pretty extreme uh, mismatch in, in supply demand. And so what we're seeing in, in the food and agriculture space is some of those downstream CPG companies uh, investing more heavily and looking at upstream partners, which is exciting for us, uh, as we've always thought it is important for the ag value chain to be more integrated. Um, so that's one trend in our industry that we're seeing emerge. I would say the other trend that's more broad and, and less specific to agriculture is that many of our clients and uh, and investors no longer trust uh, the broader equity markets to serve as a barometer of economic health. Right. Um, we've seen the stock market react in almost you know hypocritical ways with news right. coming out. Um, and uh, you know, it, when we look at unemployment and we look at labor and we look at productivity and output and we look at consumption and spend data, it, the math is just not yeah, it's just matching what we're seeing. stock
1: market just bounced back like a spring and it's just going higher. I, I just don't understand. Same uh, in, as housing market too. It's just, there is no
0: correlation anymore. Housing, at least to me, makes a little bit more sense because housing has a little bit more rationales. You can break right. it down into areas, and there's supply and demand, and yes. again, yes. it comes down to real asset, you know, and and having fundamentals. But the stock market, you know, that that's the problem with intangible assets. You know, there you're you're investing into, uh, you know, a, a company or an, uh a software or an idea. Um, those because you don't have a hard asset to anchor you down, those expectations can fluctuate wildly. And um, and that's the problem that we see in our investors share, uh, you know, of, of why they're so, um, you know, I, I don't even think disappointed is the word, I think just uh, untrustworthy. Uh, yeah, they no <laughs> longer trust, you know, what they're seeing in the broader indices, yes. be it the Dow Jones, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500, the Russell, th- doesn't matter. Um, and so for us, it's actually been a benefit, I think for all alternative um, uh, managers, it is a benefit because now is a chance to sort of highlight the benefit of alternatives, which is, um, you know, again, uh, diversification and uh, offering investors access to an uncorrelated asset class.
1: Got it, no, that's, that's great. What makes farmland a stable investment during and post COVID-19?
0: I would say again, um, what makes farmland stable during COVID 19 is the fact that people still need to eat. Um, this, yeah. is a, this is a durable good. Um, fundamentals do not change meaningfully. Um, I, I don't want to say they don't change at all, but they do not change meaningfully. It's very different than um, other commodities or other goods. Um, and so, you know, in our view, I don't want to say there's been no impact. There has. If you look at almonds, actually, there there was tremendous impact back in the spring um, because almonds are um, U.S. almonds are typically often sold to uh, Asia, specifically China, um, and many of the Asian ports had closed because of coronavirus. And of course, Asia went through their first bout of China, particularly went through their first bout of coronavirus um, ahead of the United States. And so you saw that impact hit earlier. You saw the ports closed and we had no place to ship our almonds and and they sort of backfilled and that led to price uh, decreasing meaningfully. I think almond prices declined by 30%, 35%. Um, But eventually the ports began to reopen, the almonds were shipped and we saw some price recovery. Now our prices where they were last year, no. Um, But we are seeing recovery and we believe that prices will eventually return back to where they were. So that's the, you know, I, I call it, it's rational volatility in my mind. There's a reason why price it moves. Um, and as long as you can justify the, the fundamentals and you can make sense of supply and demand, um, you'll have a good idea of you know, what the market should do and, and how your investment will do because this is a durable good and we're not really dealing with preferential, uh, you know, preferential um, demand where it's finicky, it's rather stable here. Now, after COVID, I think actually there's going to be increased demand and increased reliance on the ag sector. I think consumers have realized how important it is to have direct access to healthy food. Um, Oh, yes. And I think there's other trends that are emerging that have been emerging well before COVID, such as alternative proteins, plant protein. Yeah. and uh, no, no, now exactly. you're
1: talking my language, <laughs> you know, as I said, I'm vegan. I have, I take plant protein every day, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of avocados.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Healthy fats, healthy, um, exactly. healthy greens. So we're, um, you know, we, we don't see that trend going anywhere. We think that's got a trend. That's going to continue to build. We're going to continue to see new technology to support, um, that, that sort of, uh, production. Um, and so in our view, um, I think post-COVID for farmland and ag looks actually even brighter. I think COVID ended up looking pretty bright. Uh, I think the, the asset classes performed well under this incredibly uncertain time. If you look at the US farmland index performance, when, when basically every other index in Q1 fell precipitously, if you look at the stock market, if you look at, if you look across financial markets, Q1 2020 was a terrible quarter. I think farmland decreased. I, I can't even remember the figure. Maybe half a percent, if that. Um, nice. Basically a blip. And then in Q2 there was a, a positive return, a recovery that uh, more than offset the Q1 loss. Um, so we're in positive territory now for farmland for 2020. Um, nice. And that's the hardiness of the asset class that you know I just love so much. I. I you know, I argue it is the best asset class for capital I can preservation. Tell.
1: <laughs> so what is your background and how did you get involved
0: in farmland? Sure. Uh, so my background, believe it or not, well, first, I, I, I this is a little odd and it's not meant to be this poetic, but I did grow up around farmland. Um, so I grew up in upstate New York. My first job was on an apple orchard um, when I was mm. very young. Um, that, you know, I wish I could say I knew from that day I was going to work in ag. I didn't. <laughs> Um, I always loved weather and climate. Um, So growing up in upstate New York, I got to see everything, blizzards, tornadoes, hurricanes, you name it, we had it. Um, And so I studied atmospheric science in college and climate change. Um, And rather than pursue a career in academia or research, I wanted to go into industry. Um, And so when looking at industries, I asked the question, you know, which industry will be most impacted by climate, but also could positively impact climate. Can can industry help us solve this issue? And my view and my conclusion was that ag is the industry for that, um, where there's a circular relationship here in, in ag, and more specifically farmland, where obviously the way the climate changes will impact where we can grow what. In some areas it will be harmful, in some areas it will be helpful. Additionally, the way we manage our farmland Our management practices, how we, you know, if we rotate crops, if we whether or not we till the soil, um, whether or not we introduce biodiversity. These management practices can either sequester carbon from the atmosphere and help us mitigate um, greenhouse gas emissions, or we could deplete soil nutrients, deplete topsoil, and put ourselves on course for a much larger problem in the short term and and medium term. So for those reasons, I just thought, this is an interesting problem. And then of course I I realized, you know, it's not a sexy industry. Not that many people are looking at it. It's kind of been forgotten by technology. It's kind of been forgotten by investors. Um, And to me, that made me think this is gonna be a really exciting place in the next 50, 60 years to be. Um, So that's how I ended up here. That's awesome.
1: Let's take a quick break, David. And after the break, we'll go through my usual questions, which I ask every guest.
0: You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. For more info about what we do, check us out at wealthmatters.com. It's wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, matters, M-A-T-R-S.com.
1: Welcome back to Wealth Matters Podcast. I am chatting with David Chan about farm together in the agriculture business. David, are you ready for our fire round? Oh yeah. Okay, let's go. Would you be changing any business or investment strategy after coronavirus?
0: Broadly speaking, no. I I think our strategy is is the same as what it was before.
1: Got it. Uh, Favorite real estate or finance or any other related book?
0: I would have to go with, I probably have to go with Nature's Fortune by Mark Uh Turchek and Jonathan Adams. Um, I have not
1: read that one.
0: It's a good one. It it sort of highlights the need to underwrite for environmental externalities when you're investing. So definitely recommend that one.
1: Net just fortune. Okay, I got to put it in my list. (laughs) Any tool or website you recommend or you cannot live without?
0: Oh man. Um, Huh. I would say, is it fine if it's not exactly uh, for like work use? Oh yeah, any anything, yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, uh, I was so sad when all the gyms had to close um, earlier yes. this year, and I was so afraid I was going to get out of my routine. And I found an app. Um, I should look up exactly what it's called here. Let me see. It's called a uh, WOD timer. W O D timer. Yes.
1: Yeah. So you you are into CrossFit. I used to do CrossFit. <laughs> yeah.
0: That app has saved my life this year. Oh, so. <laughs> okay.
1: I got to look into it. Yeah, I ended up uh, building a gym in my garage because I'm i like and you, you know, I was very sad. I'm like, okay, I go every day at 5.30 a.m. How can I sustain? That was the, you know, uh, my time, right? Yep. So, no, I, I'm going to look it up. Any advice for beginner investors?
0: I would say just read as much as you can get in front of as much content as you can listen to as many podcasts as many speakers as you can um, you know i think yeah. i i think uh in some ways it's always good to view yourself as a beginner investor for as long as you can um, i still think of myself as a beginner investor and i'm a professional investor but right. it's because we always have something to learn um, and so i would encourage anyone to just continue reading and continue learning
1: that's a, that's a great advice because, you know, uh, and, and you are a professional investor, but of course you continue to learn, right? That That's the whole process, right? In any industry, in any environment, you've got to be open to, you know, learn, right? Yeah. You know, that That's awesome. How do you give back?
0: The way I give back, um, so I've had a couple of organizations that have been super meaningful to me and helpful to me in my path. Um and so one of them is the Hispanic Scholarship Fund. Um, and so I uh, am on the New York board of that organization and I help, uh, I help them um, continue to be the largest provider of scholarships to the Hispanic community in the United States. Um, I also am involved with the Twigo Foundation, another wonderful um, nonprofit organization that is looking to increase the number of underrepresented minorities working in finance and investing. And then I'm very involved in all of my alumni communities, Um, and so uh, sometimes I serve as a volunteer admissions contact, um, or will help candidates as they're applying um, with their admissions essays uh, or preparing for the interviews. Um, And it's also a nice way for me to to continue to feel connected to my alma maters. Um, You know, as I'm still fairly recently removed, but you know, as the years continue. I start to see how easy it is to kind of fall away from that. So it's my way yes. of trying to stay connected.
1: That's great. How can my listeners reach out to you?
0: Um, so they can um, visit us at www.farmtogether.com. Um, and then if they have any questions about Farm Together or Farmland Investing, um, they're more than welcome to reach out to me uh, directly via email. And I can be reached at david.farmtogether.com.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, my friend.
0: Thank you. It's been great being here. Yeah.
1: Take care. So this was a great episode. I'd be very appreciative of you if you can go to YouTube and subscribe and share my channel. Or if you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating. Uh, if you leave a five-star rating, do email me and I can send you a free copy of my Amazon number one best selling book, Resilience, How to Turn Your Sad into a Comeback. Till then, next time, see you later. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing!